Galatians chapter 2. We have been studying the book of Galatians for a while now. Since we got into chapter 2, we are titling this portion of Galatians, What's So Great About the Church? What's So Great About the Church? And we learned earlier, it is where believers are welcomed. Where believers are welcomed. Here they are, a, a church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles, and uh, Paul takes Titus to Jerusalem with him, a Gentile. And as a Gentile brother, he was accepted and loved, regardless of whether he was a Jew or a Gentile. So it's where believers are welcomed. Then we learned about uh, the churches where a believer's faith is protected. If you look in verse uh, 4, it says, And that bre because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So the Apostle Paul said that the church is a place where false doctrine is not allowed to enter, and if it does enter, it's not allowed to stand. And I just learned something this morning. It says, no, not for an hour. Now, I would say not for a second. Isn't that what you would say? But what, and I just learned this this morning, that when the Bible was written in the Greek language, that that hour was the shortest uh, measure of time that they had available. And that's why it's interesting. In another place, the Bible uses in the twinkling of an eye. Isn't that interesting? So he, he said, not for any period of time would we allow false doctrine to stand. Today, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9. So let's start reading there. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. The contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Lord, please help us as we study your word. This is a very interesting passage of scripture. Father, I pray that you'll help us to understand it in its context and that it really does apply to us today help us as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. What's so great about the church? It's the place where believers are welcomed, where the believer's faith is protected, and where the believer's worth is established. The believer's worth is established. Did you know that you are vital to the Lord's work? You are vital to the Lord's work. It can't go on without you. And that is the context of this passage. What's going on in the book of Galatians was you had the Apostle Paul had gone to this area, had established churches, had preached the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. And that's the only way that anyone can get saved. And if there's any other gospel that's preached, the Bible says, if someone preaches that, let him be accursed. So if somebody adds anything to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation, they are to be accursed according to the book of Galatians. In chapter 3, the Bible says this, O foolish Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? 
So the book of Galatians fights two heresies. The first heresy is adding works to salvation. The second heresy is that you do the work of the Lord through your own strength. It's all done through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you, how many of you have noticed that living the Christian life can be hard sometimes? Anybody ever noticed that? And so what you say is, I'm just going to try a little harder today. How's that working out for you? It's got to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. His strength is made perfect in our weakness, and that's what the book of Galatians is about. But because there was so much controversy, here at this time, there were a group of people called Judaizers that had come into the church at Galatia. And these Judaizers were believers. They were, they were Pharisee, Pharisaical Jews, Orthodox, very strict Jews, who had received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But now they wanted to impose those Jewish rituals on the believers. And that's what the Apostle Paul is fighting. There are some people that were teaching that you had to be circumcised in order to be able to be saved. And so Paul is dealing with that in chapter 2. That's one of the false doctrines, those false teachers who had crept in unawares to steal the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. Man, I'm glad that I'm free. I am free. We celebrated our freedom last week, talking about those who protect us in this great country. But you know what? My liberty that I have in the United States of America is nothing compared to the liberty that I have in Jesus Christ. Man, I'm free from my sin. I never have to pay the penalty for my sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'm not going to be condemned when I stand before God because I've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that happened because I'm such a good person. Because I'm born again. You know why? Because I'm not a good person. There are no good people, right? There's none that doeth good. No, not one. The only way that I can stand before God righteous is because Jesus Christ saved me. And I have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Why was that important? Because I don't have any righteousness. So Jesus Christ clothed me in His. And that's what happens to any person who's born again. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, He cleanses you and you're justified. That means that God declares you righteous. Okay, so now, what is this talking about? This passage of Scripture is pretty interesting to me. Because do you know who he's talking about? Look at verse 6. Verse 6, the Bible says, But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, who's he talking about? The apostles. He identifies them in verse 9. Look, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. He's talking about the other apostles. So, what is going on in this text? Well, the Apostle Paul is making it very clear that his message is not subservient to the message of the other apostles. It's not less. And he didn't get it from them. He got it from God. He makes that very clear. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation. God had led him there. No man had, had, had summoned him and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Who was he communicating it to? The apostles. 
he had gone to see the apostles, the other apostles in Jerusalem. So what's going on here? Well, the first thing that we see here is look at what it says in the middle of verse 6. God accepteth no man's person. So what Paul is teaching us here is that God does not regard the original apostles above the apostle Paul. That's what's going on. The apostle Paul is identifying this. Now, why is this important? How many of you have friends or loved ones who attend a, a Roman Catholic church? How many of you have somebody that you love that attends? And someone here, you, we have guests here, you might be a part of the Roman Catholic system. And, and that's fine. What we're identifying here is the reason the Apostle Paul is identifying this is that some people teach that the Apostle Peter's position was higher than that of the Apostle Paul. And that the, the Apostle and, and Peter is identified as the Bishop of Rome. And as the Bishop of Rome, then Paul would have been subservient to him in apostolic authority. Well, what this passage is teaching, and it's making very clear, is that's not true. That is not what the Bible teaches. Why does that become important? Why, why does that matter? Because the Apostle Paul, God gave to the Apostle Paul the revelation of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, apart from works. So here's where this becomes important. If the other apostles and the gospel that they preached is more important than the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached, then where there are differences, then... Hello? Where there are differences, then you have to accept what the other apostles said. So what the Apostle Paul is identifying clearly in this context is that God did not esteem the other apostles more highly than the Apostle Paul. Let me give you an example of why this becomes important. Keep your place in Galatians, but go with me to 2, Peter, or 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor. He's teaching him how to behave in the house of God. Then he identifies that as the church of the living God. Look what Paul said. Consider, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Now, let's illustrate what's, ha what's happening here. All right? What, what is Paul talking about? Well, we do it naturally. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Y'all doing okay this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas and of the twelve, and after that He was seen of, about 500, of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part 
remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. So now, here's what's going on. We have the clear definition of the gospel. Do you all see that? This is what Paul believed after that he received it. And this is the gospel that he preached. This is the gospel that we all preach. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe here that that's the gospel? Okay. Now let me show you how you automatically take what Paul said and apply it to other portions of the Bible. Look with me. I'm going to take you to a very obscure, unfamiliar verse. You've probably never seen it. You've probably never heard it. You ready? John 3.16. Let's go there. How many of you don't have to turn? But it would be good to look at it. I want you to look at it with me. And I want you to see something that's very interesting. Now, we've identified what the gospel is. How many of you agree that we've identified what the gospel is? And if anything else is called the gospel, it is another gospel. It's not the true gospel. Now, look at John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that a wonderful verse? It really is. Just, it's beautiful poetry and truth. But let me ask you a question. Where is the gospel in John 3.16? It's not there, is it? Well, it kind of is. Here, let's read it the way that we... When you read it, this is what you read. All right? This is what, as a believer, as a person who loves the Word of God, this is what you're reading when you read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins to be buried and then to rise from the dead the third day that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life isn't that what you are reading when you read that how many of you would say that's what you're reading when you read that and that's why that verse is so precious to us and that is what the verse is teaching don't i'm not saying that this is not the gospel okay but here's the problem when jesus said this was this before or after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It was before. So they weren't preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of you think that makes sense. Okay? So what we're doing is we're reading the Bible based on what the Apostle Paul said. That's where these things become so important. That's why this seeming argument or dispute among the apostles is demonstrated in Acts chapter 2. God is making sure that we understand that the apostle Paul was not beneath the other apostles. Okay? So now, let's look at... That's, that's the first thing that we see. So God, does, God accepts no man's person. But I, I also want you to see something else. The apostle Paul doesn't diminish the other apostles. He's not saying these other apostles were knuckleheads. He's not saying they didn't know what they were talking about. There's none of that. So what's going on? We'll get there in a second. So first of all, God does not regard the original apostles above the apostle Paul. Paul does not diminish the other apostles. 
But Paul grounded his personal opinions on thus saith the Lord, not on this is what Peter said, this is what John said, this is what Thomas said. Is that right? So how does that become important to us? Well, this idea is very important in the Scriptures. What I want us to see, the Bible says that God's not any respecter of persons. Did you know the Bible says that? But let's, let's look at some of the places where it does. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is going to become really important. Deuteronomy chapter 10, look at verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. Have you ever noticed, you're going to see this from the scripture as we look through some verses. You know God's not impressed with us? You know, I've been in meetings where I remember, especially as a young man, um, there'd be some preacher up just holding forth and just letting her go. And be some preacher, he's in great mind and communicating the word of God and capturing the people's attention. And I remember sitting out there thinking, man, I could never do that. How cool would it be to be able to stand up there and not be afraid? Actually have something to say? And I remember I'd look at some of these preachers and I'd think, that guy's really special. You know what I found out after I became a preacher? Some preachers are genuinely gifted. Gifted beyond that of other people. You know what I mean? Uh, while we were at it, I was preaching in Florida a couple of weeks ago, Lawrence Vance came. and As a matter of fact, I'm using some of his material in this message from one of his commentaries. Well, Lawrence Vance, I've read his material for over 20 years. He's got an IQ of something like 170. You know, mine's probably barely 70. And he's just unbelievably brilliant. First time I met him was last summer. And he was coming through. He said, Jim, I'm coming through. Could you meet me? I'm going to be in, in Louisville. Would you meet me in Cincinnati? We'll have lunch. I thought, cool. Dr. Vance wants to have lunch with me. Honestly, I thought that was really cool. And then I met him and started talking to him. He's the same age as me. Exactly. He wrote this book, The Other Side of Calvinism, you know, when he was like 23. I didn't like him at all after that. I mean, this guy, he's crazy smart. There's no way that I could compare my intellect to his intellect. If I had to minister based on, can my mind work like Lawrence Vance's, I need to go do something else. Because I can't do that. I'm not built that way. The back of that book has over 200 pages of footnotes and bibliography. He read every book in print on Calvinism when he wrote that book. When he's in his early 20s. If I had to compare to that to be a pastor, I would quit. That's why the Bible says in the summer of the number, 
comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. When I first came to Sydney, one of the first pastors that I met was Brother Farrier. He contacted me immediately the first week that I was here, extended the hand of fellowship, and has been one of my counselors ever since. And he is just an amazing soul winner and an amazing pastor. If I compared myself to his ability to work with people, I would quit. I can't do that. I can't compare myself to him. And so what do I do? I show him the respect that God requires me to show him. Dr. Vance, I just don't talk to him anymore. No, no. <laughs> I show him the respect that he has earned because of what he's accomplished. Does that make sense? But what if Brother Ferrier said something that was opposed to the Scriptures? What if Dr. Vance writes something that's opposed to the Scriptures? Who do I respect then? The Scriptures. The Scriptures. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul is identifying. You see, these men that God used greatly... How many of you think God used the original Apostles? Anybody saved here? Yeah, you're saved because what God used the Apostles to do. Okay? Praise God for what God used those guys to do. But look at what the, how the Apostle Paul describes them. Let's go back to... I was going to go through the Bible and show you all the verses on respect, but we're not going to do that right now. Go back to, Coloss or to Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Look at what it says, verse 6. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. What is he saying there? He didn't walk into the presence of the apostles and bow down and kiss their feet. How many of you see that? Do you see that? Why? Because their title meant nothing to him. It meant nothing to him. Do you know what was important to him? What God said. Now, if God inspired the Apostle John to write something, that is authoritative. Amen? God, wrote, God inspired the Apostle Peter to write or to say something. Book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, 1 and 2 Peter, in, in all through the Gospels, the things that Peter said, that is authoritative. Is that right? But how about when Peter said to Jesus, Be it not so, Lord. Does that give us authority to say no to God? No. Why? Because He was a person just like us, you and me. We are just people. And as I got to know some of these preachers, especially some of these big guys, big churches, big ministries, do you know what I found out? They're just guys. They're just people. Now, how many of you are wondering what's going on right here? So what we're going to do is we're going to read through each of these today. And we're going to... No. Let me tell you what this is. I'm going to show you why what I just said became impor becomes important. Here's where the damage comes. This set of books is called the Anti-Nicene Fathers. The red ones. The Anti-Nicene Fathers. These are the church fathers who lived and practiced before the Council of Nicaea. All right? These are the post-Nicene Fathers. These are the church fathers who preached and ministered after the Council of Nicaea. How many of you are helped by this so far? Okay. This is 
the Nicene and post-Nicene fathers. So what this is, this is the accumulated writings that we have in existence of all the church fathers. Now, how many of you have heard of the church fathers? And here's what you get. The church fathers said, the church fathers wrote, the church fathers believed. And do you know what we as Bible believers say to that statement? So what? Who cares? It doesn't matter if they didn't agree with the Bible. Where they agreed with the Bible, praise God, that can be helpful. Where they disagreed with the Bible, you boom, <laughs> out of here. Is that right? And so here's the problem. And this is where people have ignored Galatians chapter 2 to their hurt. If you have a great theologian or Bible scholar from the past who believed something that was contrary to the Word of God, we are not to respect that teaching. Because here's what happens. There are so many churches, because the pastor is so respected and loved, that that pastor will go off in some wrong area of doctrine and because the church loves that man so much, the church goes into that false area of doctrine with him. That happens all the time. And today, it's even worse because most people don't read and understand their Bibles. They get their interpretation of the Bible from the radio or the television. And what they say is, Dr. So-and-so said, Professor Widebottom said, and so you've got... All of these guys, and, and you know what? Some of the television preachers do a great job. Most of them don't. Some of the radio preachers do a good job. Most of them don't. And because this has ceased to be the authority, and we live in the cult of celebrity. Someone told me that Joel Osteen was on Sean Hannity. And what's his new book called? How to Make Every Day Friday or something? I don't really like Friday because that means Sunday's coming and I've got a lot of work yet to do. <laughs> Why would I care what he says if it doesn't go along with this book? Can I, can I quote the Apostle Paul? Look at what he said. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Yeah, I met that guy. Honestly, I didn't get anything out of it. Yeah, he was okay. You see that? Where does our authority, our instruction come from? It comes from the Word of God. Okay, Pastor, your title. What's so great about the church? It's where the believer finds his worth. Do you know how vital you are in the work of God? And yet, here's what most people think. They sit in the pew. Well, I don't really have any Bible degrees behind my name. I've not written any commentaries. I don't guess I can understand the Bible. Satan loves that. He just loves that. 
The Apostle Paul wanted you to know, the Holy Spirit of God wanted you to know that when you are in agreement with the Word of God, you speak as authoritatively as any apostle who ever lived. That's pretty cool. That is awesome. The Bible says, 1 Samuel 16, 7, do you remember when they wanted Saul because Saul was tall? And then when God had chosen David... Apparently, David wasn't. Yes. Right? Remember? He went by all these guys, and he couldn't find it. Then when they saw David, he said, Really? Are you sure? They wanted Saul because Saul was huge. God can't use huge people. And listen to what the Bible said. Lord looketh, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. You see, the esteem bestowed on a man by other men is no basis for assuming that God does likewise. Just because someone's popular doesn't mean that God holds that person in high esteem. Listen to what Luke sixteen fifteen says. That which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Just because a book is popular at the Christian bookstore doesn't mean that God has placed His endorsement on it. Amen? The issue is, does it agree with the Word of God? So, the first thing is, God accepteth no man's person. Um, look at Romans 2.11. I, I gave you the Deuteronomy passage. Let me give you a New Testament passage also. Romans 2.11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For there is no respect of persons with God. Then, back to Galatians, it says in verse 6, But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, notice what it does not say. Remember who he's with. Look at verse 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. So he had gone to Jerusalem and he gave the apostles, he told the apostles the gospel that he was preaching. And then in conference, they added nothing to me. That's what it says. What it doesn't say is that they came to an agreement. You see that? Why is that important? The Apostle Paul did not go up there for approval. He was called by God. He was sent there by God. He received his message from God. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Or look at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man... For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He got his message from God. So he was not going to Jerusalem to receive the approval of the apostles. He was going there to settle something. There were people that were trying to add circumcision to salvation. And Paul wanted to go up there and make sure that those men were preaching the right gospel. How many of you see the difference? between that and seeking approval. He didn't do that. And then he says, and they didn't add anything. They didn't add anything to me. 
So let me ask you a question. Was there an antagonistic relationship between Paul and the apostles in Jerusalem? No. There was not. Do you know how I know that? Look at verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. They, they approved. They agreed. They were glad about the message. So there wasn't a conflict. There was no conflict there. Um, Peter, later on, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul withstood Peter to his face. Do you see this in, in verse 11, the chapter 2, verse 11? But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Then he goes on to describe that. How many of you think that that is the Apostle Paul submitting to Peter? No. But we'll look at this again later, but I don't want you to miss this. How did Peter respond to that? Look at 1 Peter. This is pretty cool. Look, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, chapter 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3. Verse 15. 2 Peter 3, 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or they wrestle with it, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So the apostle Peter identified Paul as our beloved brother. And his writings, listen to them, submit to them. They are the scriptures and and unlearned men wrestle with those things. They reject what the Apostle Paul wrote. Peter is here endorsing the writing of the Apostle Paul. There is no way that Paul was considered subservient to the other apostles in Jerusalem. So, was there an antagonistic relationship? No. What is the teaching of the text? Well, according to verse 2, it's very clear. He communicated unto them, but they didn't add anything to the gospel. They added nothing to him. Now, here's where this you have, to, you have to understand how Paul wrote. When Paul was talking about the gospel, he wrote about it as his gospel. Okay, look at verse 7. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto me, as was the gospel of the circumcision for Peter, so that gospel was committed to Paul, to him, so they hadn't added anything to his gospel. Look at what it says in verse 8, middle of verse, of verse 8. The same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles, that gospel. And when, look at verse 9, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived of the grace that was given unto me. So this grace to communicate the gospel, it was all a part of Paul's being. He personalized this message. It was who he was. It was what he was doing. Was he being narcissistic? No. No. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Romans 2, verse 16. You know what? Let's start reading in verse 14 for the context. For when the Gentiles, 
which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. So they, they know what they're supposed to do. It's in their hearts. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, uh, the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, look at what it says, by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. When the judgment day comes, people are going to be judged based on Paul's gospel. What's Paul's gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Do you see how this becomes really important now? That's Paul's gospel, my gospel. Look at Romans 16, 25. Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. What is it that had been kept secret? Paul's gospel. The gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Jews and Gentiles will be one in the body of Christ. That mystery, that is the gospel that the Apostle Paul was preaching. When he said, my gospel, they added nothing to it. How many of you think that's becoming really important? Really important. Look at 2 Timothy 2.8. Let's read verse 7 just to bring us back. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead. Look at what it says. Would you read that out loud for me? Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that I might may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, the Apostle Paul was saying that his gospel is that of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Understand the rest of the Bible through my gospel. My gospel. Um, Paul personalized the gospel that was committed unto him. So what happened was, what's going on in Galatians chapter 2? Go back there. They fully accepted Paul's gospel and had nothing to add to it. And in the light of Titus' experience, let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. Don't miss this. Verse 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And he goes on to talk about some people had tried to bring that in. And in our Sunday school hour, we saw in uh, Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, there were some Pharisees who were saying that you had to be circumcised to be saved. So Titus is an illustration that you do not have to be circumcised to be saved. In light of that, they didn't add anything to the gospel. 
They didn't add Titus' circumcision to the gospel. You see that? You, you, nothing should be added to the gospel. Not circumcision, not good works, not baptism, not speaking in tongues, not sacraments. Uh, someone called me that the, there was a 9-11 service downtown, and one of the preachers that was preaching said that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Well, apparently I'm not saved. See, that's adding something to the gospel. They didn't add anything to that. They fully accepted Paul's message. So how has obedience and disobedience to this passage worked out in history? Uh, our time is done. I don't have time to go through it all. But let me say this. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he commends their behavior. But he says this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Is that right? Is that what it says there? How had they left their first love? Well, Jesus Christ identifies very clearly what it means to love him. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my words. So what happened was in that period of church history, the earliest period of church history, from the apostles through about 200 A.D., this is the early church. This is these guys. What happened was good men, men of renown, men who had earned respect. What happened was they started adding words, phrases, and concepts to the Word of God. And because these men were held in high esteem, because of their position, bishop of wherever, because they were held in high esteem, the things that they said were given equal weight to the Word of God. That can never happen, people. But that's what happened. Let me give you some examples. Clement of Rome... He lived from A.D. 30 to 100. He taught that pastors are like the high priest. Therefore, they must be over the laity. So in other words, young men, I'm like the high priest. That means I know God better than you do. Nah, 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 nah. And so that grew into this doctrine of the priesthood and the laity and that meant the laity had to come to the priest for forgiveness of sin. That's found nowhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ hated that because to the church at Ephesus, we just quoted, you've left your first love. He said, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nicolaitan is a transliterated Greek word. That is, it's a Greek word that wasn't translated. They just changed the Greek letters to English letters. Nico means to lord over the laity, laitan the common man. God hates it when anybody lords over the common man. Jesus Christ said he hates that. That came from Clement of Rome. Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, he lived from 80 to 115. He was the first person to refer to all Christians as the Catholic Church. He called believers the sons of the church. And by calling believers the sons of the church, that led to the teaching that salvation is only through the church. When the Bible says we're sons of God, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. To as many as believed on his name. We're not saved through the church. 
As a matter of fact, you can't be in the church until you're saved. Completely backwards. Um, Epicurus, he attempted to marry uh, philosophy and the Bible. Uh, so many of these things. Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr. He lived from 100 to 165. He gave his life for Jesus Christ. The, the, when he was about to be burned, he said, Swear and I will release thee. Listen to what he said. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who saved me? Then he went to the cross, or went to the stake, and was burned. He was burned. Now praise God for his sacrifice and his testimony. But he said, faith is the mother of us all. And his teaching on faith, that grew into the doctrine that salvation comes from the church. You see, what happened was you had a man like Justin Martyr who lived a godly life and gave his life for Jesus Christ. How many of you think that should earn you respect? I do. But you can't take what he said and put it over this. That's what the Apostle Paul was teaching. That's why this passage becomes so vitally important. Let's finish this up. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, look at verse 9, middle of the verse, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. So what happened? Having stated what the apostles did not do, Paul now says what they did do. They wholeheartedly accepted his gospel and him. They accepted and endorsed Barnabas. They recognized that each had its own field of service. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? First of all, we realize that our goal is not the approval of men. It's not the approval of men. When I stand up here and preach to you, as I'm looking out here, man, I'm seeing folks that just, some of you are interested, some of you aren't, and that's okay. Because this is a doctrinal sermon, and that's just, you know, man, if you, when you're having a hard life, when stuff's going on in your life, you're not really interested in Paul's meeting with the other apostles. You know, and I get that. But that's where we are in the text, and I can't just skip over it. should go to something that's fun. Zoom, zoom. <laughs> you know? So, so, so I get that. But when I'm preparing this message... I can't ignore how these Clement of Rome and Polycarp and these others, how their errors entered into Christianity and led to the mess that we have in religions. We have to address that. How many of you have been to a church where they're talking about stuff and having you do stuff? That's, that's not a million miles from the Bible. There's no way it's in the Bible. Right? Where did that come from? Right here. All of it's found right in here. But I guarantee you, it's not found in here. Right? That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. These guys, when they agree with the Bible, praise God, thank Lord for their ministries. When they don't, let him be accursed. You see, we're not in this for the praise of men. We have an audience of one. We're serving him. I want his smile on my ministry, not the community. That doesn't mean you go out in the community and stick a thumb in their eye. Amen? 
You proclaim the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They might put you in prison. You might lose your job. Your family might walk away from you. The Word of God says that it's worth it. So our praise is not from men. And neither do we hold men in higher esteem than the Word of God. The Bible does say that when you have somebody communicating the Word of God to you, you esteem them highly for their work's sake. But what if they go against this? See, that's the idea of priorities. What comes first? This comes first. So, what do we learn from these three verses in Galatians? Simply that our goal is not the approval of men, it's obedience to God and His Word. Our goal is not division, but unity in the Lord's work. And our goal is not worldly acclaim, but being found in Christ. Amen? See, I don't want the approval of the ministerial association. I'm looking for well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. See, we need to understand the Apostle Paul's apostleship was not a lesser apostleship. It was very important. And uh, he communicated that to us in his word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the understanding that you give us.